Hello and welcome back to Scream 101. I'm Brennan Klein. And I'm Shannon Chalakian. And let's start off the episode with an apology. This is not Twitch of the Death Nerve, as you may or may not have noticed. What had happened was uh, I started school and I started a new internship and I went from oversleeping over winter break to being... To still oversleeping, but at a different time of the night. Yeah, being completely sleep deprived and for some odd reason, I don't know. I think I'm getting sick. Anyway... Uh, that's why we did not, we were not able to find the time to, to do Twitch of the Death Nerve. We are actually planned ahead for the next couple of weeks, so we shouldn't have this kind of problem in the future. Yes. But this is the beginning of the semester and things have been a little crazy, so we don't have a discussion for Twitch of the Death Nerve, but we decided to bring you a super special mini episode. Yay! We're going to have some... Fun stuff. Yeah, just some random fun stuff to share with you. And let's start with the first one, which, as always, is 10-word reviews. Yay. So my 10-word review is for my big fat Greek wedding. Who needs a plot when you have Greek people? Nice. And yours? Uh, I'm going to do my 10-word review for The Revenant as Tom Hardy's character from The Revenant. Oh, my God. Uh, you should win this Oscar if you're going to shoot Tom Hardy. <laughs> um, and Spotlight. The dad from Smash is in this. I'm sold. And the Danish girl. Sadly, not about pastries, but a decent costume drama. Uh, I see what you did there. That was uh, funny. That was you. good. That was good. Okay, so on to our first section, which is actually our listener Q&A. Yeah, this is for the first time ever people have actually wrote in because I specifically asked people to on Twitter and uh, Facebook. So we have a couple listener questions to share. First of which is from... Okay, I'm going to ruin this name. It's either... Tristan Comer, or if it's like Spanishy, it's Tristian Comer, which probably isn't. Yeah. Okay. But I thought I'd give it a shot. And his question is probably a weird question because of genre. But have you had any tearjerker moments from a slasher film? And also, he adds, just had to ask after a night of Psycho Two and Prom Night. I've not seen Psycho Two, and Prom Night does not make me cry. But I understand. I understand what you're talking about. Yeah, first of all, thank you for asking us this question. That's a really good question. Yeah, it is. It's a really good question. Um, and I will start, if that is all right with you, Brennan. Go for it. I don't cry during movies because I am made of stone. You are a robot. Um, however, there are a couple movies that mess me up a little bit. And uh, the first of all being The Final Girls. Hell yeah. that That's also on my list. Good. Love, 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 love that movie. Also... Uh, it just gets me every time, and I've only seen it once, but I just know. <laughs> every, you, you just dream about it, and I I'm do. crying. I do. I hear Betty Davis' eyes, and like my eyes start to water a little bit. Um, so that movie is, is just so poignant, too poignant for its own good, but it's so amazing. And we have a very long discussion of it on episode 22, Camp Bloodbath. We do indeed. And my other one is uh, that we've watched on the podcast was uh, The Babadook. It was it was a different kind of crying. It's not a crying like, oh, this is so sweet and sad. This is more like, oh, my God, this is so stressful. Yeah, stress tears. Stress that tears, also works. Yeah. yeah, so those would be my two, two moments, Tristan. Okay. And for me, I have cried at movies. It happens. Um, I have not seen Where the Red Fern Grows since I was six. One time, actually, I was supposed to watch it when I was 10 with my sister. This is total tangent, so I apologize. But I knew it was going to happen in the end. So I just left the room like 20 minutes before the end. And she had no idea. And I just abandoned her to this (laughs) world of pain and tears. Poor Lauren. Explains a lot. I know. But specifically to the slasher genre, there is a horror movie that makes me cry. And it's kind of unexpected, probably. It's The Sixth Sense. That movie always makes me cry every time when... Yeah, no, I won't spoil that. But um, slasher-wise, Final Girls is good. 
There are some deaths that I am upset about in slasher movies. Mona. Well, obviously, because <laughs> she's the best in I'm Madman. But um, kind of spoilersy, but people die in slasher movies, so not really. But if you hear the name of a movie that you don't want to know about, just put the earmuffs on for two seconds. Okay, so like deaths that I am sad about in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, um, Nancy's death, mm-hmm. which is like, because she's so important. And in the final exam, when Radish dies, because he's so nice, and I just want him to have a happy life. And then in Terror Train, when um, Mo dies, Jamie Lee Curtis's yeah. boyfriend, because he doesn't even get a good death. He just, the lights go out, they come up, and he's dead. And I'm like, well, this is, he does not deserve this. There's two more that I want to bring up that are more specifically tearjerkery. There's a 1981 movie called The Demon, which is awful. I hated it. It was filmed in, like, south africa or something but it's set in england or something weird i don't call me on that because it was so bad i was not paying full attention mm-hmm. but the thing is there's one awesome subplot in that movie and actually a really awesome final girl sequence special i'm talking about but it's this weird romance between um the younger sister of the final girl and this older rich man and it's actually really interesting and really human and like complex mm-hmm. and then they both get killed and then the final girl has to discover her sister's body in the room. And I'm like, this is really upsetting. Wow. And then another just upsetting movie is from 1980. It's called the unseen. It's not a great slasher movie, but it takes place in solving, which is a place that I love. Mm -hmm. It's about this weird family and like their son is mentally disabled and he gets locked in the basement and he's the one who's the killer, but he doesn't know what he's doing and he's giant now. And then like the dad's a dick and like he sees ghosts and he listens talks to ghosts and then like he like hits his son with a pole and then he gets shot in the chest by his wife it's just sorry that was a big spoiler for the unseen but don't watch the unseen mm-hmm. um it's just a really dark family drama Jeez. and so that's that's that that's my tearjerker moments for flashing movies that was a long answer let's move on to the next one all right all right from kyla colette what is the best movie to start your friends on to get them hooked on horror so oh. Shannon, Shannon actually wrote a post about this for my blog. So you seem to be the expert. What do you have to say? I did. And I'm only the expert because I went through this with you. Um, I would say if you're trying to get your, your friends into horror movies, then expose them to the, the what I call the perfect trifecta, which is Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and Friday the 13th. Um, I recognize that um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was actually along the same side of those, but I didn't watch those, and also it's a freaky movie. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put that on a beginner. Yeah, don't don't give it to someone until after. Like, it was too much for me, and I watched quite a few of Yeah, at, at this point, Shannon's seen a lot. Yeah, so um, definitely start them on those three. They're a good basis, and then I would skip to something um, that's more modern that is funny and like more entertaining so like scream would be good cabin in the woods would be good final girls would be good um but final girls you know grab your tissues oh yeah so so yeah i would that's how i would do it i think okay i have i have fairly similar like don't start them on like cannibal holocaust or suspiria or something intense or just super weird i usually start with like the funnier kind of like less scary things just to see if they're into what the genre looks like and is about mm-hmm. like scream is what got me started in the horror genre especially because scream like it's funny it's scary it's accessible and it also mentions all these other horror movies which i then went out and watched so for me that was a really great intro into everything mm-hmm. it's kind of like perfect package but also um your next i think is a good movie for that yeah, because it just good. It's fun. It plays on the tropes, but not enough that you need to know the tropes beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, if they like that, 
there's a second level where you can actually show them things that are slightly scary but that are classics and that are like kind of recognizable in the culture like poltergeist or nightmare on elm street Mm -hmm. and if you just want to like slam them full tilt into pure existential horror show them xanadu (laughs) and that is my answer to that question um and our final question from Ed Chalakian is, are horror films getting better or have they run out of ideas? Which is a, that's a heavy, heavy question. Yeah, especially because the horror movies that I like, that I've seen recently, which are not that many, because a lot of the ones that we watch are older, but even the ones that we have seen recently are so good because they're playing on tropes that have been established in other films. Yeah, so, we're, we're in a place where horror and everything is full of nostalgia for older franchises like mm-hmm. on tv arrested development was coming back like or whatever there's all those shows that like from dusk till dawn is a tv show now the omen is a tv show there's mm-hmm. everything is a spin-off or a revival fuller house who's yeah. gonna watch fuller house i mean that that's a horror horror genre definitely i mean basically but all of our culture right now is looking into the past mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard to stand out from that unless you're the final girls or something like that but I don't think the genre is getting better or worse. Like there are always going to be great films like the final girls, like you're next. And there are good original films like Oculus or the conjuring, which is very derivative, but it's original. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be awful films like Memorial day or zombie diaries Two: world of the dead. Yeah. Like it's, it's very cyclical. And I think once we break out of this nostalgia bubble, we'll get to a really good place. But I don't think it's to say that modern horror is bad or modern horror is great. Like, Horror is always bad and great. Yeah. And I definitely think that sci-fi and horror um, is so, like, they're both so political. Oh, yeah. As far as, you know, they follow um, the anxieties of the time. So, and we live in a very anxious time. So we're probably going to have a lot more, like, financial horror films. You know, things about, like, aliens are probably going to come back because of immigration and things like that. Um, So it'll be interesting to see the fluctuation and how the genre changes based on how our history changes and how our society changes and how things that they're afraid of change yeah that is interesting because our culture right now like we're we're eating our own tail so once we devour it all we can finally get to something that we're actually scared of right Mm now that's true and there are films that do accomplish that like um the Babadook, It Follows. They're very modern, but also very classical seeming films mm-hmm. that kind of deal with modern issues of motherhood or teen sexuality and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, Babadook was grief. Well, you know, part of it was grief and that was... Yeah. Yes. And Unfriended. Oh, yes. It, it deals with um, the trauma of being, being unfriended, unfriended on Facebook. On Facebook. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> um, the next thing we're going to do, um, actually the main topic of this episode that I, I wanted you guys to get a chance to know us outside of the horror realm, like while we're doing this weird episode. Yes. So I just wanted to do a quick top three list of non-horror films that a lot of people hate that we really love. So it's like an in-defensive discussion. So um, Shannon, do you want to start with your number three? Okay, so my number three is um, from the Die Hard series. It's Ooh. Die Hard 4, Live Free or Die Hard. Which is a great title. It's it's a great title. And also, it's probably my favorite of the series. I love number one, but it's so different than number four. Like, they're radically different movies, you know? You're such a, you're such a millennial, Shannon. I know, I know. Um, I think it's about the internet. It's I love it. It's like a fire sale. No, but it, <laughs> it's actually, it's very, very good because you get everything that you want out of a diehard movie, essentially. So you have, you know, 
grumbly, bald father, protective protective over his daughter, who's also a badass. Um, and then you have the whole political dealings, and um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of really funny moments. There's a lot of really fast action-paced moments. They drive a car into a helicopter, and then you drive, and then he jumps on a jet, and drives the jet into a. Uh, no, he takes a he takes a tr- like a huge truck and drives it into a a, a jet. Okay, um, I, it it is a fun movie. I like. Yeah, that movie it's too. they they're just really creative about it, and. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 very solid as a movie. Like it, it was a sequel, so you can get away with a lot with sequels. Like everyone knows, Transformers Two was the worst movie on the face of the planet, and it still made tons of money because no one cares. Because as long as you got a good first movie, people will see your second or your third or your thirteenth if it was a Bring It On movie. So <laughs> or Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so. I was just like pleasantly surprised that the fourth installation of this series was so solid. Okay, nice. Yeah. Uh, my number three is Muppets from Space. Okay. It was released in 1999. Um, I'm in the middle of a Muppets marathon with Sergio right now. Yeah. And Muppets from Space has pretty consistently been the most maligned entry in the franchise. So I was really nervous coming into it. But we also watched it right after Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island, both of which I found really dry mm-hmm. and uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because, like, I love classic literature, but the Muppets in classic literature is not my bag. Right. Um, but when we came on to Muppets of Spa- Muppets from Space, yeah, it's not the best film in the world. It's very, very late 90s, early 2000s family movie. Like, it ends with a giant dance party and there's, like, covers of pop songs and a lot of weird R&B playing in the background. Or, like, hip-hop music in the background. It was, in, it was 99. Yeah, exactly. Like, 99 kind of is taking over it like a big blob, like just devouring the 70s Muppets um, ethos. But it's a really funny movie. They don't go to space, which is disappointing. And I think that's why most people don't like it. But Wait, they don't go to space? No. Isn't it called Muppets in Space? It's called Muppets from Space. There's the ticker. Um, Gonzo finds out that he's probably descendant of an alien race. (laughs) What? Yeah, because no one knows what species Gonzo is because he's such a weird little thing. Um, I mean, there's a lot of weird little but things that no yeah, one cares about. The rest but of the Muppets are all like definable things. Well, Kermit's a frog and Miss Piggy's a pig and Pepe is a prawn. Right, which I didn't know, by the way. Oh, he's the, he's the king prawn. Oh. Um, but so it turns out that he is from aliens, but they like come down to him so that we don't get to go to space, which kind of sucks. But... As it is, it's a really funny movie that infiltrate like an X Files facility. Um, Jeffrey Tambor is the villain trying to capture Gonzo and like oh vivisect God. him. Oh no! And Bobo the bear is his assistant, and it's a really funny movie. Like maybe I'm just a child, but there's also a really great Ray Liotta cameo where he gets hypnotized by this hypno spray because James Bond is in there too. Right. And it's just so funny. Did you feel like the genre crossing of like the fact that there were Muppets, which are already puppets, uh-huh. and an alien race wasn't weird to you? Honestly, the alien parts were my least favorite parts. Mm-hmm. Um, at least when Gonzo's family finally comes down, they're just like singing Celebration by... Is that cool in the gang? Celebration no, times, come on. Yeah, like it's... It was very strange and very long, and I didn't mm-hmm. appreciate that part so much because I was kind of bored by that. But all of the antics leading up to it or super fun. All right. Although there is one super racist Muppet. He is pink and his name is Clifford. And he's clearly, 
like the only way they could get away with it is that he is pink and not black because mm-hmm. his lips are huge and he has dreadlocks and like earrings and he is like lusting after a girl named Shanene. And I'm like, this is the most <laughs> offensive thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So six out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well done. All right. Well done. So what's your number two? So my number two um, is after the ball, which is comma Andrew Furtado, which is a great movie. Um, So I discovered it on Netflix while I was bored and needed something to watch. And it was one of those like new things that were being advertised. But essentially it is Cinderella. And Twelfth Night. And Twelfth Night together. Yeah. So which is baffling to me that it works. But essentially um, uh, like it's like Cinderella. She's the man story with Hilary Bynes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh so the entire storyline is like uh this daughter of like a warehouse king, a warehouse designer king, um <laughs> uh finishes her degree and like goes <laughs> Sorry, back to she's the daughter of the goblin king. <laughs> <laughs> With a huge cobbies. Um goes goes and works for her dad. Uh, because she can't get a job in the industry because everyone knows who she is because her dad rips off the designs of vogue or whatever mm-hmm. um so she goes but she has an evil stepmother of course and two evil stepsisters and so they fire her they get her fired and then in order for her to like raise through the ranks and prove herself she decides to like gender perform as this guy nate and then oh, you were, raise in ranks you were so college educated she cross dresses she dresses as a man whatever gender performance i mean you're not wrong but that's so funny you're so intellectual whatever anyway um it's a great film because it's really cute and it's just so canadian it really is it is so canadian and they have they have canadian stanley tucci yeah they have canadian like everyone's a canadian counterpart of something slightly better that's american yeah pretty much uh yeah and they have um who's the guy from who's who's line uh, Colin Mockery. Yeah, Colin Mockery is the evil guy, which is really funny because I've never seen him in anything else. But uh, it was very strange. Yeah, I was not actually aware that he had an acting career. <laughs> I didn't. Th- I don't think he does. Only in Canada. He's yeah. he's probably like a uh, Brad Pitt in Canada. Probably they make a lot of Colin Mockery Canada jokes on a uh, on Who's Line. All right. Anyway, so yeah, After the Ball is great. Check it out. Cool. Uh, my number two is My Best Friend's Wedding. Yes. With uh, Julia Roberts and Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> um, I had to watch this for Andrew Furtado's Now Streaming Podcast, which we're also forced to watch after the ball because of Shannon's recommendation. Yay, I can't believe I won. It was a great, great episode. But um, a lot of people dismiss it as like a really shallow rom-com or like whatever, gross, whatever. But first of all, this movie is a goddamn musical. <laughs> like, <laughs> it could, it probably wouldn't be classified as such by anybody else, but there are there is a full musical number at like a Joe's Crab Shack where they sing a Dionne Warwick song and then there's like a karaoke number and then there's they're like trying to figure out their song and they're singing on a boat and then they're singing at the wedding like it is a musical. And also the thing is um Julia Roberts is in love with her best friend who's getting married and she's bas- she's trying to destroy his life. Like she sends emails to his boss pretending to be his father trying to get him fired. <laughs> Like trying to rip apart the very foundation of who he is, so he will be desperate enough to fall in love with her, and which is exactly what best friends do. Yeah, exactly. Like in a modern rom com, that would be played for, like, oh, they're so sweet. I hope they end up together. But no, 
no, but the, like it, it's wrong. But right. in a modern romantic comedy, you were supposed to root for that character. But right. in my best friend's wedding, you're not. You know that she's awful. And um, she, Julia Roberts is like playing off of her natural rom-com charisma to create this really acidic, dark character that I think is so interesting. <laughs> and well, go watch My Best Friend's Wedding. Don't watch it as a romantic comedy. Watch it as like a really sour musical about a woman who is super evil and then realizes not to be so evil. That's great. I, yeah. I haven't seen it, so I'll it's have a to good movie. Add that to my list. Okay. Okay. So, what's your number one, Shannon? Okay, so my uh, number one underrated gem is my favorite movie to watch in December, because I see I have a, a weird relationship with the holidays, and I don't like them that much all the time, but I will watch this movie every single year without fail, multiple times, <laughs> and it is, funnily enough, the holiday. Uh, the holiday is partially awful because of Cameron Diaz because she is awful in this film. Oh, sorry to interrupt, yes, but Cameron Diaz is a triumph in My Best Friend's Wedding. Is she? She gives the best performance of her career, and there's a karaoke scene that should have won her an Oscar, and I'm not kidding. Okay, keep okay, going. Okay. Um. Uh. Anyway, so she is atrocious and just <laughs> horrible, but everything else about this movie... It just makes me my heart sore and just like inspires me to do better with my life. And the music is done by Hans Zimmer, which, you know, people know from like Inception and like big movies like that. Wah. Yeah, exactly. But it's like the most light, delicate, most beautiful music. I honestly think it's his his best movie he's ever done. And people can fight me on that. I don't care. Uh, but the entire cast is lovely. Kate Winslet is gorgeous and Jude Law is so funny and there's these two little kids in it and it's amazing and it honestly like it makes me believe in the holiday season Aww. which i know is That's like a gorgeous. it's like a tough thing to do so so um bah humbug uh <laughs> but yes the holiday is great and i would watch it at any time of year if i was sad is that the one with jack black in it yes okay i haven't seen the full movie okay but i've seen one scene where he's like you feel the wind blowing <clears throat> that's the Santa Ana winds and the locals around here say that that brings change. I'm like, what the hell are you talking right? about? I, was, I would like, I've never heard of the Santa Ana winds. No, no. I, I grew okay, up in Southern California. The Santa right. Ana winds are a real thing right. that they strike in like October, but they don't bring change. They bring the smell of cow poop from <laughs> all of the farms up North from Bakersfield. Yeah. From Bakersfield. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a good thing. And no one has this weird mystical, quality to yeah. them like just make up a fake wind don't use the real poop winds that we have yeah that's true that's true there's a lot of really cute california references like in i mean because the entire thing is they swap houses so there's like yeah you know they send cameron cameron diaz to the arctic tundra which is great and then um uh kate winslet gets to spend this great amount of time in this huge mansion in california like she deserves because she's a cinnamon bun um <laughs> But yeah, so anyway. That's anyway. Great. What's your number one? Uh, my number one is the documentary Katy Perry, Part of Me 3D. Um, <sighs> I watched this with my friend Cassidy, who was on our fifth episode, I think, with 100 Bloody Acres. Which is like a long time ago now. Yeah, it really was. But she can corroborate this with me. This movie is fantastic. It's like, Shannon really hates Katy Perry, so maybe you shouldn't watch it. But anybody else who's just kind of ambivalent towards this pop diva icon... Um, this is a great documentary about just 
a shattered marriage because it's largely about her divorce with Russell Brand, right. like before and after. And it's really emotionally powerful. Like speaking of tearjerker moments, this is one of the few movies that's actually made me cry in the theater. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed to admit it. This movie is super good because most um, documentaries like One Direction, This Is Us, which I also own on DVD. <laughs> of course. But um, it's those ones are mostly concert documentaries, but this is like half concert documentary, half Katy Perry just being super emotionally vulnerable. And I'm like, this is an awesome film. I need to check it out. Uh, anyway, before Shannon has a chance to talk, um, we're going to move on <laughs> to our next section. Uh, <laughs> I already created our Italian horror, mo- or, uh, our third and final Italian horror month game. So I want to play that with you before we close out the episode. Okay. Um, it's the la- final installment of everything's coming up. Giallo which is I will give you a a phrase and it's either the title of an Italian giallo film or a title or a partial title from an E.E. Cummings poem. Okay, let's do this again. (laughs) One more time. You're you're learning, I think. I'm learning. Hopefully I'll catch on. So let's find out. Number one, Annie died the other day. Uh, Giallo. No, that's E.E. Cummings. All right, we're off to a good start. Uh, Number two, so sweet, so perverse. Giallo. Yes, that one is. Okay. Some of them, I was running out. Uh, number three, A Quiet Place to Kill. Giallo. Yeah. Number four, Beware, Beware, Beware. E coming. Yeah, okay, see, you Woo! are getting better. Number five, The Slasher is the Sex Maniac. Please be Giallo. Yeah, that's okay. Giallo. That, I was going to say, like, if that wasn't Giallo, I was going to open the book and read that right now. Yeah, that one's kind of a gimme. Okay, number six. When serpents bargain for a right to squirm. Uh, you coming? Yeah. Okay. See, you're doing really well, actually. Yay! On this one. I was running out. Um, number seven. Forbidden photos of a lady above suspicion. Giallo? Yeah, that's a Giallo. Number eight. Five dolls for an August moon. Who is coming up with these? Uh, e, e coming. <laughs> no, that's a Giallo okay. film. Number nine, The House with Laughing Windows. Giallo. Yes, it is. Okay. Number ten, um, A Round Face Near the Top of the Stairs. E coming. Yeah. Yay. Uh, number eleven, The Killer Must Kill Again. Giallo. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking on this one. Uh, number twelve, Every one of the red roses opened. E. Cummings. That is E. Cummings, Yay. but it super could have been a Jello film. It, it totally could have. Any of them could have. Wow, you did super well. You got ten out of twelve on that one. Yes. So um, I'm glad we brought this in our last week of sort of Italian Horror Month. Yeah. Sorry we didn't watch the movie, but we will be watching it eventually. So. Yeah, we we promise we'll get back to it. We did this with the Final Girls too. We had to cancel our episode and bring it back, and that yeah. was a great episode. Yeah. So I think we're gonna do okay. Exactly. And before we get to our closing statements, just wanted to say a quick in memoriam for Alan Rickman, who did pass away before our previous episode, but like during the day between when we recorded it and when we posted it. Yeah. Um, And we had like a huge tribute for David Bowie. And I feel like somebody was probably like, what the hell about Alan Rickman? Yeah. Why aren't we talking about him? We didn't know. Yeah. He was, he was still alive when we were talking. Um, I just wanted to say, like, just short comments because we babbled a lot about David Bowie and that did not work. Um, I just wanted to say that Alan Rickman, aside from being Snape and a really essential part of our childhoods, is a huge inspiration. 
he didn't hit it big. He didn't film a movie. His first feature film was Die Hard. Mm-hmm. And he was in his early 40s. He spent a long time before he became successful. And you just kind of got to grind it out. Like you got to just keep working and keep pushing. And he finally achieved it. And now he's one of, he's like a beloved icon. And I think that that's really remarkable. And I totally envy his entire career. And I think he's really talented and he worked really hard to achieve that. And he is an inspiration. And that's what I have to say. Yeah, totally. And he really loved music and, um, you know, was apparently a really, really funny guy. Uh, you hear on interviews and things like that uh, of other people who interact with him and just their impressions of him. Um, and yeah, again, really big about Snape, which is sad, but a moment of silence for Alan Rickman. All right. So we're going to move on to our closing statements. Yes. Um, we don't have any recommendations this time, but I do still have a clue for you. Ooh. Um, well, first of all, the, re- the revealing the answer to the clue from last week will right. be next week. We will be discussing happy birthday to me in honor of Yay. Shannon's birthday. And honestly, I don't really remember the clue that I gave last week, but, um, I mentioned something about top 10. It's going to be like one of the top 10 experiences of your life. And the top 10 are the name of the group of characters who are being killed That's in right. this movie. So that was that clue. Yeah. And a, a big part of the clue was like, to celebrate Janon's birthday. Yeah. In Canada. I was like, they'll they'll yeah. figure this out. Yeah, exactly. And for, uh, yeah, for our film two weeks from now, here's the clue. For our next film, we're headed back to summer camp. But we'd better not get caught trespassing or we'll get no seconds on dessert. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Uh, so that's our clue for that. If you have a guess to that clue, if you have any questions, which we will answer yeah, extensively. Thank you so much to the people who send in questions. We really appreciate it. And we would love to answer more of your questions if you are at all interested in anything that we have to offer. Yeah, it was, it was a really fun conversation. Yeah. And you guys are way more interesting. You come up with more interesting topics than we can sometimes. So we indeed, appreciate that. Indeed. Um, so yeah, if you have questions or comments or champion dialogues to share, you can contact us on Twitter at Scream101Pod, on Facebook at Scream101Podcast, via email at Scream101Podcast at gmail.com. Com. Uh, find us on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review us. Give us five stars like we give to Alan Rickman's career. Yay. Um, and we'll be closing you out with Le Point du Jour, a French song sung by Alan Rickman in the audiobook for The Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy. Not Tom Hardy, because you wouldn't be able to understand it. <laughs> Le Point du Jour à nos bosquets Rend toute leur parure. Flora plus belle à son retour, l'oiseau reprend du chant d'amour, tout célèbre dans la nature, le point du jour. Le point du jour cause pas froid, cause douleur extrême. Que l'espace des nuits est court, pour le berger brûlant d'amour, Forcé de quitter ceux qu'il aime au point du jour. Did you actually have words from your review for Tom Hardy? Oh yeah, that was that was an actual review. That was your, what, what does Here, it say? Um, it said you should win the Oscar if you understood Tom Hardy. Uh. <laughs> I swear, I I understood maybe thirty percent of what he was saying because he had the thickest fake Texas accent, and it was like. 
well, why not come out of here? Because say, but there was a man and there was a squirrel and he maybe ate the squirrel. And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> it, it was kind of like um, the opposite of Bane because Bane's voice was so obstructed that you couldn't understand him in The Dark Knight Rises because like, Fire rises, Batman. Right. Be or not to be, that is the question. Yeah. And then in um, The Revenant, he was unobstructed, but he was still completely unintelligible. Right. Like, I think... Mad Max was the perfect role for him because mm-hmm. there are no lines of dialogue and he pulled that off perfectly. Right. So um, just keep playing Mad Max and maybe let's just stick with that. Sounds good to me. Anyway, bye everyone. Bye-bye.